Welcome to Cutthroat Queens Podcast, where we collect the tears of our guests and sell them on Etsy for triple what they're worth. We are here to take an open and honest look at all things indie horror. My name is Brett Mitchell-Kent, and I'm joined by my sleep paralysis demons bidet, Chelsea Pumpkins, and a couple of moldy breakfast sandwiches, Kelsey Ayu and Emma Murray. Hello. Hi. I'm not, I'm not sure what's worse, being a bidet or a moldy breakfast sandwich. I, I figured it was a like a bidet is, is a good thing like as opposed to a toilet like you're thank you you're cleaning <laughs> it's yeah it's really a compliment yeah but my v- my view is disturbing <laughs> i guess it depends on how you look at it depends on what you're into <laughs> <laughs> um welcome kelsia and emma um i don't know what you take on your breakfast sandwiches uh, apologies for being moldy um, Kelsia Yu is a Taiwanese Chinese American writer who is eternally enthusiastic about sharks and appreciates a good ghost story. She has over a dozen short stories and essays published or in or forthcoming from Clark's World, Fantasy, Pseudopod, and elsewhere. Her novella Bound Feet was a Shirley Jackson Award nominee. Woo! Go Kelsia! <laughs> and her debut novel, It's Only a Game, will be published by Bloomsbury Children's in 2024. Find her on Instagram or Twitter at Novel Escape or visit her website, KelseyaU.com. Kelsia lives in the Pacific Northwest with her husband, children, and a pile of art supplies. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, I, I will give my level best attempt at reading Emma's because I am terrible at reading things out loud. So um, Emma E. Murray's stories have appeared in anthologies like What One Wouldn't Do, obsolescence and ooze little bursts of body horror as well as magazines such as pyre and if there's anyone left she has several novels on submission and her debut chapbook exquisite hunger is available to order from medusa publishing house when she's not writing she loves playing pretend with her daughter and being an obnoxious bard in DD. love it Hello, Emma. i play as a monk almost exclusively i always end up circling back to being a monk i don't know anyone who plays monk <laughs> well, ah, there we go. I, I always do. I don't know. I don't play D&D, but I keep trying to get somebody to make like a noob campaign so I can learn. All right. So what we are here today is not to talk about D&D as much as I would love to, but this is our summertime sadness special. Uh, this was birthed because uh, we've we've discussed both Emma and Kelsia in previous episodes uh, and Emma writes a lot of very sad stuff. Uh, and then Chelsea floated the idea of like, hey, a summertime sadness, a sad special. And I was like, oh, I have the perfect book for that one. Because oh, yeah. I have been just dying to actually get a deep dive in to talk about Kelsia's book Bound Feet since I read it earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was just feeling, you know, the heavy heat, the humidity, listening to Lana Del Rey. <laughs> And we were like, summertime status, let's go. And then, of course, Elton, 
um, ever the contrarian was like, I'm picking something happy. It can be a palate cleanser. So um, <laughs> he, he will interview DA Holmes um, at the latter part of this episode. So yeah, you have that to look forward to once we're done. Um, but yeah, let's jump in. Um, Emma, do you want to kick it off and give us a little detail about your your chat book that released today? Today, congratulations! Today is a filming, not today is of when this. <laughs> yeah, we're at the whims of Elton to get it uh, edited, but <laughs> yeah, today is July Tuesday, July eighteenth, and today is the book birthday of Exquisite Hunger. So tell us about that, Emma. Um, so yeah, it's a chat book. Um, it is illustrated by Ka- Caitlin Marceau and that's, it's gorgeous. And, um, yeah, it's a little sapphic story about obsession and cannibalism <laughs> and expectations versus reality. Like it's, it's not my saddest thing, but it's a little bit sad. I definitely think it works with the summertime sadness <laughs> Yes, I think that expectations versus reality definitely fits in. Um, And I had been reading some of your other work, which is why I was just like, man, she does this like sad, longing, unfulfillment so well. So I wanted to bring you on for this. Um, And I got to read Exquisite Hunger ahead of today and it was fantastic. I don't understand how I felt hungry at the end, but I did. (laughs) And I don't know what that says about me, but maybe, maybe someone should check on me. (laughs) I think it says a lot, um, but nothing unexpected. (laughs) And Kelsey, your Shirley Jackson award nominated novella bound feet. Can you give us a little bit of backstory about that one? Yeah, sure. Um, So it is about two best friends, both of them moms who are grieving their lost young children, um, and they break into a Chinese garden and ghost museum overnight. There they perform a ghost day ritual honoring their dead children, but in doing so, they accidentally awaken something ancient. Oh, it is wonderful. Uh, it, It made me actually this is one of two books this year that has actually made me cry. So, and oh, I'm medicated. So thank that's a, you. That's I think. <laughs> so. And that's kind of one of your, um, I don't know, maybe not content warnings necessarily, but you are definitely sensitive to child, child yes. stuff. Yes. So. That's one of my weak points. Uh, but yeah. this, it was handled beautifully in bound feet. So Oh, yes, and you. congratulations again on the nomination. That's so amazing. We're really excited thank about you. you. So I just want to clarify because Kelsia did provide us with a little snippet to make sure that you know we were understanding how to pronounce her name. So Kelsia, that's correct, yeah. right? That is correct. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I love it. I Every other time I've pronounced your name on the podcast, I've done it wrong. So this is. Yes, we're sorry. I think that's how most people naturally pronounce it. I feel like I should add it to my bio, but I haven't. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) As a a Chelsea, I understand. I get the struggle. (laughs) (laughs) I get the opposite. So I feel, yeah. So we did discuss briefly off air. uh, This subject matter Mm -hmm. is about loss of a child. And we've discussed previously on the show as well. A lot of people use this as kind of a catharsis. So what was your inspiration 
to write this book with this subject matter? Yeah, it's a little bit of a long story. So I hope you don't mind me going into all of it. Please do. And I would say like the full story is in the books afterward. If anyone's interested, I'll try to keep it at least somewhat condensed for the show. Um, But essentially I had a miscarriage and I stopped writing for a while, just dealing with grief. And it was also the holidays and there was a lot going on. Um, And I tend to be someone who writes like a lot, like very, very often. So um, I kind of got a little bit panicked that, all of a sudden I like wasn't writing for over a month. Um, And then one day I just sat down and instead of trying to get back into the novel I'd been working on when I had the miscarriage, I just like opened a blank page and just started writing a short story, Um, just whatever wanted to come out. And it was about a woman who has a miscarriage, shockingly. Um, But like after I finished writing that story, just sort of like, in this big frenzy, I sent it to one of my critique partners and she was like, this is horror. Cause I actually didn't write horror before that um, or read much of it. Yeah. And so I didn't know that much about like psychological horror. And so she was like, yeah, this is psychological horror. Um, so after that, I got really obsessed with horror. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I kind of like fell in love with the genre. I started asking friends who read it for recommendations and um, that's when I discovered the horror novella which is a wonderful form Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like it's such a good length for horror so um, I was inspired to write one of my own and I started brainstorming like potential concepts with my husband which is what I do for most of my books Um, but nothing was really sticking until Till he finally said, I think you need to lean into the things that you're the most afraid of. You're kind of shying away from them. And I think that's why none of the concepts are really grabbing you. And I was very opposed to that at first. But then I finally kind of entertained the idea and realized, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm sure fellow parents will understand. Like the most terrifying thing in the world to me is the thought of losing my children. Um, my daughter was two years old at the time. And like, I just basically leaned into all those feelings of grief over my miscarriage and also just all of my fears about losing my daughter. So that's where the story came from. Um, I'm really, really sorry to hear that you had to go through that. I appreciate that. And also I've actually had quite a few readers message me about the afterword in particular, saying that they went through something similar and um, that it meant a lot to them to read the story. So it's just all felt really worth it to put that vulnerability on the page. Yeah, I think opening that dialogue for um, people who have experienced that is something that we're seeing more of and that can be really powerful. So I hope that you found some comfort in it or community. Um, And thank you for sharing that so openly. we're glad that you feel safe enough to do that here. So really appreciate that. And yeah, thank you. I I can, uh, I discuss it at length. Biggest fear. I'm so petrified of losing my children. And this year I've actually been devoting myself to reading things that push me out of that comfort zone, um, which is one of the biggest reasons I picked up your book. And I'm 
very glad that I did. You have a lifelong fan in me. I'm just obsessed. But I, well, I'm honored. Thank <laughs> you. It was wonderful. Um, and Emma, I don't. Are we allowed to talk about your novel draft at all? That I read uh, the one you read. You mean yes, one, yes. Um, I mean, yeah. It's not on submission yet. We're still <laughs> that one, but we can talk about it. <laughs> we can we can be vague, but I will say like you've you've explored similar themes in in some of your other works with um child loss stuff, and I didn't. I just wanted to give you a moment to talk about like maybe why you t- tap into that theme too. Yeah, um, similar reasons. Um, I've I have gone through some tough losses, but with child with children, I have um, OCD, and so I have a lot of intrusive thoughts about losing my daughter, and it's very cathartic to me to actually just dive into those horror and write about it. And so it comes up a lot in my writing. That's why I'm kind of surprised you read so much of mine, Brett. Actually, whenever you don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, like it's very much like, yeah, my biggest fear. And so, yeah, I think that people respond best to your horror whenever you do let your biggest fears show. Yeah. And I mean, the emotion that's come out in both of your works, like so beautifully. um, Yeah. I don't know. The summertime sadness, like the beautiful, like it's, I don't know. I just like, you can feel your heart on the page for both of you and both of those works. So thank you. Appreciate you sharing that. Hopefully that novel finds a home soonish. Oh my god, it needs to. You let me know if I can help because I loved that that draft. Okay. It was amazing. <laughs> um, but I do wanted to give you time to talk about exquisite hunger today too. Um, and I think we both want to ask. I mean, Kelsey, you kind of covered maybe inspiration for Bound Feet a bit. Um, so Emma, do you want to talk about what inspired exquisite hunger? Uh, sure. Okay. Um, so it, it came about partially from a dream. I have very vivid dreams. And actually, a lot of my stories are a combination of intrusive thoughts and dreams I had. <laughs> and so that was like, I was kind of playing with that idea, because it was like a semi erotic cannibalism dream. I know probably TMI because I'm Google. <laughs> but <laughs> And I was like, you know, I really want to do something that has, I love writing um, femme antiheroes and like antagonists as protagonists. And then I was listening to a true crime podcast, which I know Chelsea, you're also a fan of true crime. Yes. And it was about this man who had lured someone into his apartment to kill and eat them. And that was kind of when it clicked for me, how to make this story work. And so I was like, I'm going to take it from a femme perspective and explore like that sapphic longing instead of, because I don't like how stories like that are always male centered. And so I try to write things like that from a female perspective. And so that was my inspiration. Oh my God. So messed up. I'm dying to know what you had to research to write the details of that story. (laughs) So I have always been like just obsessed with the human body. I think it's fascinating. Like when I was in college, I took a lot of anatomy and physiology classes. I was actually a bio major for a while. And so I know a lot about the body, but for this particular story, I did have to do a little bit of research into butchering and like how it might pertain to humans versus animals and how you might, you know, cut down a human versus an animal and different cuts. And also I'm um, reading some 
there have been some people like there's a journalist and a couple cannibal killers who have talked about the taste and texture of human flesh. And so I did some research into that. I have also looked that up for a story. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun, right? (laughs) this podcast is going to end up in like a documentary someday when one of us is arrested for something that we've researched so i i i've also looked that up so i can't (laughs) not that you know um do kelsia so yours takes place in a in a ghost museum i called it a death museum but i i think you said it was a ghost museum it was that based off of a real place or, and did you have to do a bunch of research for that so the garden part of it is based on a real place it's the lanzu chinese garden in portland oregon um, and it is a gorgeous place if you ever get a chance to go visit um, but i definitely expanded it for the story there is no ghost museum in the real <laughs> version of it um, that was totally just an invention of my own mind <laughs> I really want to go there now, though. <laughs> were, the, were the the because there was a lot of different folk tales that you yeah. hit on as they made their way through that museum. Were those all real? Were some of them from your imagination, or are they you know Taiwanese or um, Chinese folk tales in reality? Yeah, so I was actually researching Chinese folk tales at the time, and in part that's because of. Uh, what I mentioned earlier with um, the short story that I wrote after my miscarriage was my very first short story ever. And I just became really interested in short fiction in general. And so um, I, but I didn't really know how to develop short stories at the time. So I thought, hey, what if I found some folk tales and did like twisted horror retellings of them? (laughs) And I thought that would be really fun. So I started researching Chinese folk tales for that. But there were just so many interesting ones. And I started picking up on how many were ghost related or just, you know, there's definitely some themes that tie throughout many of them. And so I, instead of just retelling them individually as like separate short stories, I pulled them into Bound Feet. Um, So I think all the stories other than the main story, sorry, this is probably very confusing. There's a main folktale in mm-hmm. Bound Feet that's sort of like the book, it's built into the book's framework. And then there's also smaller ghost tales that um, are tied to the exhibits in the museum. So those ones are all just retellings of actual Chinese folktales. The larger one is more like several folktales pulled together or like themes from various stories that I saw like rolled into one slightly longer tale okay. i hope that makes sense yeah yeah no i follow yeah um the folk tales I- were such an interesting piece to the the overarching i mean the the theme itself was neat but to be able to visit each individual little folk tale exhibit for a small like punch of time was a neat you know forward moving process in it yeah, it was really fun putting those in <laughs> and just picturing the museum that has like all these little artifacts throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would make it. I, I would love to watch like a movie of that. <laughs> um, cool. But there's such a, it seems like there's such an appetite for these kind of horror retellings of folklore or fairy tales. 
especially recently, or even mythologies. Um, I, I've like learned a lot about, um, other cultures, folklore, uh, like outside mm-hmm. of what we learn in like American schools, um, which is not much, but, um, I learned so much about that stuff from this genre, which maybe, so maybe I'm getting like a weird twisted side, but, <laughs> um, I love just learning about that from writers in our sphere. So it's been yeah, it's me really too. weird in that. Yeah. Um, Kelsey, you mentioned that you're like relatively new to writing shorts. When did you start writing them? Oh, I guess it was the beginning of 2021. Okay. My first exposure to your work was um, reading a China doll in an advanced reader copy of Aseptic and Faintly Sadistic, which was edited by Jolie Tumajan. Um, And I literally like read the first paragraph and I shouted in my house. Yes. (laughs) I'm so I'm amazed at for you to say that you didn't feel you had a grasp. And I don't know when you wrote when you wrote that versus when it was published, but um that like second second person perspective and what you did with it was just so unique and so different um I just wanted to kind of hear too like how you came about that concept or like why that writing that story was important to you especially for the theme of hysteria I know we're like off bound feet but I loved that (laughs) short and I while I had you I had to talk about it (laughs) oh yeah no worries um so China Doll is an interesting one. I didn't actually write the story for that call. I wrote it for an earlier anthology call. And it was something like horror that's very personal to you. And that, oh, yes. Yeah. Well, you um, know, that, that's we know still, that one. Still in the works. So, <laughs> yeah. so, um, so I ended up, yeah, like I just, I tried to think of something that would work for that. And, um, you know, this weird story about dolls and exoticism and the fetishization of Asian women just coalesced somehow. Um, Although the opening used to be different. It was someone walking into like a thrift store and there being like a doll um, in it. But obviously it has gone through a few different versions from there. Um, I realized that opening wasn't quite right. And like just slowly worked my way toward the piece that it is now I'm trying really hard not to give spoilers <laughs> and like talking around it um but yeah like I pulled those things in um and there are just little bits and pieces that I grabbed from various other things like I've had conversations with some of my friends about who have gone on dating apps and gotten some really creepy messages um I've also you know and then I also have been learning more Chinese American history and so I pulled in a little piece of that so there's little like bits and pieces gathered from various sources of inspiration that uh got pulled into that story well it was I having not even had some of those experiences myself I I feel like it must have been pretty cathartic like I thought that story was just super powerful and really happy it's in the world so I hope that you're really proud of it yeah (laughs) thank you that story was funny too because okay so I actually send everything I write to my mom (laughs) she's she's one of my beta readers and this was definitely a test of like how much 
can I send her <laughs> without it being weird? And she was so supportive. Um, she read it and loved it. And was like, yes, we need to place this story somewhere. Yeah. So um, that was kind of a fun little thing about it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I can send her anything now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I know sometimes you're like, are you sure you want to read them? But that's awesome <laughs> that she agreed that it needed to be told. Yeah. But Emma, you write short fiction as well. Um, what are some, I've read some of them, but what are some themes that you really like to tap into for your writing? Um, I write a lot of grief horror. Like I, I think that that's probably my favorite genre. And I also write a lot of like more realistic horror. I really love like people dealing with difficult trauma. And also I really love like killers. And so <laughs> I write a lot of that. I do write some weird fiction too. I, I really enjoy that. Like more than like creature feature type things. Like mm-hmm. I really love it when it goes really weird. <laughs> so uh, like by really weird just to pull something out of the ether that's probably not relevant to you at all. Like a person that fell in love with a lathe machine. <laughs> um, is that what we're talking about? <laughs> that's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> I, that is the first story that I ever read of yours. And it became, you, your writing became an obsession for me. Um, I I was actually, I mentioned to Chelsea before this, I was very nervous for this interview specifically, more than I've ever been. Because both of you, Kelsey and Emma, your writing styles, your writing overall, it just, it's, it, it inspires me. It really does. So I, I wanted to do right by both of you with this one, because your work, you know, is exactly what I want to put out into the world and what I look for in reading. So bear with me if I seem more nervous in this one than normal, because no, it's, you're doing great. It's just because I'm fangirling. But, thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, <laughs> um, so that late story, what is the title of it and where can people find it? That is called Mother of Machines because the lathe is actually known as the Mother of Machines, which I thought was fascinating. And it's in Obsolescence um, from Shortwave Publishing. Uh, I love that story. It's a very short, very weird (laughs) story. I haven't gotten to that one, but I do have that on my shelf and I might just need to run and go read it once we're done with this. (laughs) I've heard amazing things, a lot of them from Brett. Um, but yeah, that story seems to be one that sticks with people a lot. Um, I just happened to find it because I was just, you know, I used to, to lurk the pages in a discord group that we were in for beta reading. And I just was like, man, I'll hit this. And I'd never even spoken to Emma before. And I was just, what happened to me? (laughs) (laughs) So Kelsey, if you haven't checked it out, check out obsolescence, that story in obsolescence. It's, it's, I definitely will. Um, but um, go ahead, Chelsea. Sorry. Oh, I was gonna say, like, so from shorts, Exquisite Hunger is a chapbook, and I'm super mm-hmm. curious about um, that format because it's, look, I'm new-ish to writing. Like, I'm a few years in, um, and my experience with chapbooks is really limited. And from what I understand, they used to be more of a poetry thing. But I've seen mm-hmm. a few horror chapbooks come out, so I just kind of wanted to hear, like. How did you land on that length and that format and how the process of putting exquisite hunger together, how that went? 
Yeah. So I think chapbooks are like really coming back with horror, which I, I also always knew them as a poetry thing. I have a lot of friends who are poets and yeah, those are the only chapbooks I ever saw until like a year or two ago. Uh-huh. And so actually how it happened is um, May, who is the head of Medusa House, the publishing, she's in a critique group with me. And so she just one time was like, you know, I'm, I need to start like putting things together to put out for my press. And she was like, I love your writing. How would you feel about doing a chapbook? Because they're shorter. And so they're a little bit cheaper to produce and they're cheaper to buy. And so it's a great way to kind of introduce a little bit newer to the genre writers to people where they can kind of test out what your your style and your prose without having to buy like a full novel or something. Hmm. And I had actually not thought about writing one, even though I'd read some and liked it, but I was right away like, uh, yeah, I actually have an idea because I had been working on a sto- that story already. Oh, okay. And so, yeah. And so I was like, I think this will probably be the right length. Um, and so, yeah, she ended up loving it and yeah, it's now it's the first release from Medusa House. So that was really fun for my debut to be their debut too. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> um, how did you decide to bring illustrators into that as well? Or is that on May's side? How did that go? <laughs> so May, she had told me she wanted it illustrated, but whenever she picked Caitlin, I freaked out because like she had not really told me, but I love Caitlin. Like I love her writing and her illustrations. And so I was just like over the moon. And then we, uh, we worked on kind of what scenes would be best to be illustrated and Caitlin just brought them to life. And then May had the idea for the cover, like she had a vision for it. And oh my God, I love it. It's like, I could never have thought of that in a million years and it's so perfect. And so I'm like, Caitlin is incredible. Like I actually bought a big poster of the cover as a print, like to put up on the wall because I love it so much. That's supposed to come actually like really soon. (laughs) Yeah, no, the cover is it is perfect for your story absolutely gorgeous yes good job Caitlin (laughs) I'm so excited to get the physical I saw I got my shipping notification today and I was like yes one's coming one's coming but um I got my shipping notification yesterday oh and I think it's on purpose but you're not even home you won't even get it I I won't even get it (laughs) (laughs) it's wasted on you um yeah they I'm sure May went through the list and was like well we do know Brett is the prettiest queen so we'll make sure he gets his first it's common knowledge sure that's what it was <laughs> everybody knows um, so. um I hope that you inspire other people to try out chat books too it does seem like a really neat way to like get noticed and I don't know a good length to experiment with I loved like Kelsey's point about novellas too for horror so mm-hmm. I don't know I'm all about these like shorter snippets but like and she's really snippet. really into things that she can read quickly and mark is done on goodreads that's <laughs> the, the no read quickly to talk about on the podcast gotta I'm meet just, that goal right that reading goal i gotta, <laughs> I gotta get things. it in that's very relatable i always end up reading a bunch of short things right at the end of the year so i can make my goal. Mm-hmm. i have this book yep. on kindle and someone recently was like oh do you know that that's like a novelette and i was like you piqued my interest. <laughs> <laughs> I am behind on Goodreads. Um, but no, it's such a, I like love what people can do with short fiction and these. So your Kelsey, your book ends with a, a choice that needs to be made by one of the mothers. Did you know 
that that was the direction that it was going to lean into when you started writing it? I did not. I had totally different twists in mind when I first started writing it. And I did this thing that unfortunately seems to happen with a lot of my longer works where I got 40% into drafting and realized that it just was not as good as I wanted it to be. Um, and just said, okay, time to like throw out this draft, re-outline it and then restart. But once I did that and came up with the twist that I ultimately landed on, then everything fell into place and it felt really right. And then it was pretty quick to redo the draft. Oh, that's good. I was shook. So, the, <laughs> so I did not anticipate, like the, the big reveal, no way did I anticipate it. But then like <laughs> there's a secondary reveal and then the choice. I was rooting for it. I'm here for it. I'm glad that it happened. It was the perfect ending. The book tore my heart out the whole time anyway, but I just, kudos. I I don't want to say like, hey, I'm glad that you decided it was a failure and restarted because, <laughs> but, but I am because it's wonderful. We all, we all understand Sorry, sometimes. Sorry, no. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, it sounds like, um, or do you consider yourself more of a plotter, Kelsia? Yes, I think I'm moving more toward that too. Although I will say with short stories, it's easier just to write it and not worry so much about planning. But with longer works, I've had to restart so many books that I'm becoming more of a plotter, just <laughs> like sheer frustration. <laughs> and what I realize is that I just need to give myself, okay, I should back up and say that I do pretty much plot every novella or novel around some kind of mystery. And um, I find that it's really helpful to give myself a lot of brainstorming time and not just rush into starting writing it as soon as the first interesting twist comes into my head. Um, so I just like now I give myself time to work it out and think, okay, that sounds great today. But like, let's see if it still sounds good next week or if you come up with a better twist and just keep talking it out and talking it out until I come up with all these different possibilities. Um, and then, yeah, so it takes me a while to outline. It's quite a long process now, but I'm hoping at least that that means less rewrites in the future. I, you and I sound like we have a very similar process. I'm the same. I like stew and think on a book for so long and I make mm -hmm. little notes and then I outline it chapter by chapter, but I, I allow for some, you know, moving around, but I see that, that makes yeah. sense to me. Folks that say they sit down and just write an entire book without having a clear vision, astound me. I am so impressed. By same. <laughs> same here. I, I also laugh like words. <laughs> I think like that brainstorming process. I'm sure a lot of us are like, well, not everybody, but some of us are like that. Like if I'm thinking of, I've just written shorts so far, but even just a short story idea, I like simmer on it. And I think it's funny. Like I'll be talking to my husband and I'll be like, I, I'm going to go write. And then he's like, how to go. And I was like, I just thought, but it's part of the writing. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
<laughs> it is. It's, it's an like, important like, part of writing. Right. So it's like funny to talk to people who don't write and they're like, you didn't do anything. And I was like, no, it was, it was, it was yeah. happening. It was happening inside. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'll say I, I need to work on my book and then I'll like throw headphones in and leave the house and I'm just going on a walk. Mm-hmm. Think about mm-hmm. the book and it's, well, Emma, what is your process? Are you a plotter, a pantser or a mixture? Um, I'm a bit of a mixture, but I'm actually mostly a pantser. Like I, <laughs> I actually always for all my novels so far, and I've written four and then two that I kind of threw away. Um, I have written the ending first that, so I always have mm-hmm. the ending in mind. And then I actually usually write like the climax next. I write way out of order. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I relate, I relate to that. (laughs) So I love Scrivener. I love to like have all the different note cards and I kind of have an idea of like how much stuff needs to happen before like the parts I have written. And then I just kind of fill it in. And so, so yeah, I don't plot nearly like most people. That That sounds so chaotic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I also cannot write out of order. So that's... Oh, I can't baffling to me because it has to be like whatever I feel like writing that day. Like I'm like, oh, I feel like kind of like sad today, so I'm gonna write this sad part or like this scene is calling me. And a lot of times, like the least like exciting parts are the parts I write last, and then yes. they fill in the holes. <laughs> that is, yeah, I like get. I'll get like bored with a scene, and I'm like, I gotta go write some another scene, like something yes. a little bit more exciting, and even yes. like. My current work in progress, like I, I was in the Good final enough. stretch of it yesterday, and I was like, all that's left are the boring scenes, like all the like transition parts. And like I was like, I don't want her. I was like pouting. I was like, I don't feel like so writing this. But that I right there is why I can't do it that way because I would never do those parts if I didn't have a better part to look forward to writing. I my process is very like done i usually work in like dual timelines and almost always multiple point of view uh so i like go by timeline and then by point of view and that's how it is like in order and i can't move from that because if i wrote the stuff i wanted to write first i wouldn't write the rest it is no but chelsea that actually helps is that sometimes i'll be like why is this scene boring for me and like with that novel you recently read actually some of the scenes that people have liked the most started as ones that I didn't want to write. And then I was like, how do I make this exciting for the reader? And so that it made me want to write it. And that so is- you're like, something's obviously lacking in this scene. If it's something I am dreading writing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And I feel like writing for me, writing out of order, especially like you were saying, like, if you have the ending in mind first, um, it helps me foreshadow a little bit too. Cause if I have like a big scene, I'm like, okay, I want to tease this somewhere. Where can I do it? And I don't know. So you know where it's building to. So it really helps. I don't know. Yeah. I could never just like write just in order. The pe- the fact that you guys do that is crazy to me. Yeah. I would be so like, but I want to write the end. <laughs> You're like, I just want to get there. Totally get it. Um, So Emma, your book also has, an unexpected an ending that was unexpected to me. Um, and you kind of mentioned earlier that there is a, a expectation versus reality um clash in your story. <laughs> and so I wanted to know, did you know you were gonna 
well, you just talked about writing the ending first, so maybe you did. But is that a stance you knew you wanted to take <laughs> Sorry, going in? I didn't into... mean to laugh so much, but yeah. <laughs> I don't always write the ending first with shorter things. So okay. this one, I did not write it first, but I did know it was going to go that way because that was actually how it kind of clicked for me was mm-hmm. in this true crime podcast I was listening to. I realized that a lot of these people have these fantasies and they just never, they don't necessarily live up to you know, in reality, whenever they they come to fruition, like things are never like that. Like, I mean, I'm sure we've all had like fantasies about like what it's going to be like whenever something happens and then it's just not quite what you think it's going to be or it's a really different thing, you know? <laughs> so I really wanted to explore that because I think that that's actually something that isn't explored in horror a lot because a lot of especially extreme horror. And I, I always think my writing's not that extreme, but then people say it's extreme, but I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think it's that bad, but like, I mean, I like to read some splatterpunk and stuff and that stuff is tends to be very fantastical and kind of almost like an outlet versus I like to write things that a lot. That's why I write a lot of sad stories is that a lot of them, I want you to think about like how, it isn't like a good outlet. Like, you know, people, a lot of times in my stories don't get what they wanted or if they do, it's not what they thought it was going to be and dealing with reality and coming to terms with that. And yeah. (laughs) I thought it was a really interesting, like kind of like moral choice too, for this, because like you were saying, reading it, it is like, it is pretty extreme. You're and that's what I love about your work is that your prose is like so beautiful and like Oh, thank you. Soft. And then your content is like horrific. And so I love that combination. Um, but my expectation was like, it was going to kind of glorify this because it was filled with so much desire and obsession. So um, I don't know, just really, I thought it was a really interesting choice. So kudos. Yeah, it's hard to talk about. It's a little spoilery. And yeah. I'll <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah. So we did want to see, because obviously you've listened to us before, we're all about putting people's names out into the world. We want to bring new fiction, uh, I guess nonfiction too, but it's horror. So, you know, um, we're not a true crime podcast. Anyway, I'm rambling. What would each of you say is a great summertime sadness read? Something devastating to bring tears to our eyes this beautiful summer. Or if you like to fight the summertime sadness, you can recommend that too. Either well, way. that's my next question. Oh, yeah, sorry. I too. We're doing both. Ellen, cut that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read. <laughs> so, uh, Emma, did you want to start, Kelsey, or whoever? Okay, uh, I have a couple recommendations. Like, so um, I recently read "How High We Go in the Dark" by. Uh, oh, have you read it? Yes, it's so. Funny. Oh my god! Sorry. I do not cry easily. And I cried. Yeah. And it's by Sequoia Nagamatsu. I don't know if I said that right, but, (laughs) and it is incredible. So if you want to be just devastated, that was really upsetting. And also um, Into the Forest and All the Way Through by Cynthia Paleo is uh, about real life, like true crime and it's poetry. And it was, oh my God, it tore me apart. And I listened to a lot of true crime. And so I was surprised that it got to me as much as it did. And then a little bit of a shameless plug, sorry, but um, (laughs) the first five minutes of the apocalypse that just came out from Hungry Shadows Press, like 
I, I have a story in there and mine is actually not that sad, but the other ones are like incredibly sad, but really, really good. <laughs> That's awesome. And we are all about those shameless plugs, girl. Go for it. <laughs> I have that on my shelf too. I have so many anthologies, but not enough time. I need to quit my day job. <laughs> Just read. Someone pay me to read. <laughs> um, thank you. And I, um, I'm kind of curious with your recommendation of the poetry. Are you I'm not an experienced poetry reader, so sometimes I get intimidated. How would you how would you say it like kind of falls on the spectrum of I, I think it's actually really easy to read for poetry. Cool. Like, especially if you like true crime, like it's it's gorgeous and heartbreaking. And it gives some um some of them are not solved. And so it has it kind of has that whole like maybe this will make you interested in this crime. But it, yeah, it's not a difficult poem to read. It's yeah, I mean, like I went to grad school for literature and it's not like something that you're gonna have to sit down and like break down. Like that. Thank you. And, and Kelsey, how, how- Kelsey. Oh, I sorry. We you get both of us asking. <laughs> um, I am going to recommend Sleep Alone by J.A.W. McCarthy. It's like Succubi meets sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And it's got longing and nostalgia and regret and like a band, an older main character. And it's just wonderful. And I feel like the ending was very, very heart-wrenching. So that's my summertime sadness recommendation. I got to, I read that recently too, and I adored it. Um, and we're bringing job. So good. We're, bringing, we're talking about that on the podcast in a couple of months, and I'm really excited. <gasps> yes. <laughs> so my but. TBR, and I love her so much. So I'm not surprised that it was mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah, she was wonderful. It was, I'm, I was like jokingly being like, someone needs to lean into this, like Daisy Jones and the six, but like for whole, like, because I'm like, it kind of like, hit those nerves yeah it's like really cool band music kind of like grungy behind the scenes behind the music vibe but then it's like this amazing horror amazing found family story oh I loved it I'm with you that's such a good pitch (laughs) I I love that (laughs) I need to read it it's been on my TBR and now like I'm just gonna have to do it you're talking me into it yeah Um, that's that's the problem and it's a novella it's not too long exactly (laughs) all about it get those goodreads points in everybody plus gorgeous cover yeah for sure kelsey so what would you use to chase away the summertime blues do you have any you know happy horror comedy horror funny horror yeah i'm not sure if it exactly fits into like happy or comedy horror but i have a really wild modern gothic horror recommendation Um, Tripping Arcadia by Kit Mayquist. It is like drugs and poison and lavish parties and rich people getting their comeuppance. And it's just like a completely wild book that I thoroughly enjoyed. That sounds awesome. And now that I can't watch Succession anymore, that sounds like it'll (laughs) scratch that itch. (laughs) Cool. And then Emma, how about you? Um, so I recently read My Sister, the Serial Killer, and it was marketed as like humor, but it, it does have humorous parts, but it's definitely, it was more intense than I thought it was going to be. And it was amazing. And it's definitely not as dark as a lot of things I read, 
even though it's about serial killer. <laughs> but, but it's actually kind of heartwarming, especially the ending. And so I would recommend that. And then I know you guys have talked about it a lot, but um, Les Petites Morts. Like, I, I think that that is... It's a lot of it because it's that fairy tale erotic horror. It's actually so fun. And then like Steve's story in that is just the grossest, best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Shout out That's, to Steve. His Neil. story was the in- inspiration for my introduction. Um, I'm calling Chelsea a bidet. <laughs> it's, oh, I was channeling thanks. Steve. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Please, please. Um, I loved my sister's serial killer as well. Um, Boyankin Braithwaite. I think they're so like kind of underrated in the horror world. They have a short too that's on Amazon called Treasure. Um, I love like social media in horror. Um, and I think she does that really well. Um, yeah, I would I would check out that. I think it might just be on audio. It was like an Amazon audio series, but um, it was really, it was like a fun influencer Instagram reality versus expectation story. So if you liked my sister serial killer, you might like that too. I will have to check it out. I love audiobooks. I actually listen to like half the books I read. So I want, this is like my dream for all of you, <laughs> for all of us, <laughs> that I want more indie horror on audio. It's like so hard to, I would listen. I would be way more on top of my podcast homework if if we had that. But I, it's so, it's a huge hurdle. So I get why it doesn't exist, but I want more of it. So we appreciate both of you taking the time to meet with us today. It was wonderful to get to talk to you, to hear your process. Uh, Last thing we always have to ask everybody, um, Kelsia, if if you want to start, uh, where can we find you? What are your socials, website, anything like that? Yeah. So everything is on my website, kelseyau.com, and it's spelled K-E-L-S-E-A-Y-U.com. Uh, I've got links to all my stories. I have content warnings and little previews too, and pages for my books, and everything's all on there. Um, and for social media, I'm at a novel escape on Instagram, Twitter, and threads, and whatever other new social media sites pop up in the next few weeks. I'll probably be there. <laughs> it's hard to keep up these days. Uh, yes. <laughs> and then Emma, how about you? Where can we find your work? Um, so that's actually a really good good idea to put content warnings on on your website. I might have to do that on mine. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> But um, yeah, I have everything on my website, which is emmaemurray.com. And then I'm on Twitter as emurrayauthor. I'm on Instagram as emmaemurray underscore. I'm on TikTok as author emmaemurray. And uh, I have a Facebook author page to um, author emmaemurray. Wonderful. Alrighty, thank you again for both of you joining us. So coming up next, we have Elton Skelter, and he is going to be discussing coming out of the coffin with D.A. Holmes. Maybe it's me. 
And we're back. I am joined today by D.A. Holmes, author of the upcoming coming-of-age vampire horror comedy coming out of the coffin. Hey, D, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. And yes, it is a lot of things. <laughs> it's it's certainly a lot of things. I finished reading it today and wow, it's, I think giving it the the title of a coming of age story is a little, a bit of a disservice for it. It's so much more than that. So um, why don't you, why don't we start by you introducing yourself? Tell me a bit about you. Um, who are you? What do you do? Sure. Well, I am a human man thing. Uh, as you subscri- described, my name is D.A. Holmes. I'm a writer from Dublin, Ireland, and I'm here with a queer sort of coming out story a month after Pride. So as you can tell, my timing is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. We just had our Pride special as well, but we all... by a month. Yeah. yeah. You just missed it by a month. And I think don't in the UK and Ireland, isn't our Pride in like September? No, no. Mine was, theirs was last month. <laughs> Yeah, it was all mine. Ours was last one. <laughs> I think okay. our one that we had in our local town was in July. I know there's quite a few in Cornwall that are happening in September. So I think we just carry pride all through the rest of the year. We all have pride all year round. British people are better than Americans. I'll make a specific exception and say today also counts whenever you're listening to this, people. <laughs> this is also a pride celebration. So tell me a bit about how you got into writing. Sort of how did you, you start out doing this? What? What sort of kicked off this uh, this journey for you? Well, funny enough, I've always taught since a young age. It was a weird thing because even when you're in school and you're doing creative writing stories, you sort of, I always knew it was something I could do. I could tell stories. And even when I was like younger, I was like, oh, I can be a policeman. And if that doesn't work out, I can always write. Or I can do this. And if that doesn't work out, oh, I know I can always, as if it was almost the opposite. Like other people have their sort of passion as their main career and they have something else that they can fall back to with me it was reverse it was like a regular career and sort of passion that they could fall back onto <laughs> yeah actually my earliest writing i remember i was 12 or 13 when i wanted to do my first book mm-hmm. and i didn't have a computer or a keyboard or anything but i did have my xbox 360 and you were able to go into the browser and get a wattpad i'm nice. assuming you're familiar with wattpad yeah <laughs> and it would take so long with the controller just to type out a sentence you're like one sentence a minute <laughs> now it was horrible i'm sure of it but you have to start somewhere and what was that first book about it was a horror western i didn't didn't at the time didn't even have a story idea i was like i like horror i like westerns let's <laughs> do a horror western oh i love it i think my first trying to write a book was a buffy the vampire slayer spinoff oh you did angel <laughs> no that wasn't me no mine was even better than that it was like a i think it was a giles had a son or something it was just yeah oh Oh, God, looking back, it's terrible. Oh, um, yeah, fan fiction as well. Was, <laughs> I, fiction. I did my fair few Batman fan fiction. Oh, were they erotic Batman fan fiction? No, I didn't go that far. They're mostly sadistic, Joker-based. Oh, okay. Well, that's actually yeah. forgivable. I would read that. So your publishing journey, this is your going to be your first book um, that you've released as, as, a, as a novel. So what is it specifically about the story of this book, of Coming Out of the Coffin, that made you want this to be your maiden voyage, made, made you want to sort of tackle this as your first book? Well, I've written in the past. Um, my first one, I well, first novel I wrote when I was about 17 and 18, it was a horrible piece of trash. I was uneducated <laughs> about the industry. I did maybe one draft and thought I could send it just out to agents, you know. It was probably very insulting at the time. <laughs> and then I fell into that pattern of always starting stuff, never finishing, always starting, never finishing. And then around last year, I've always had this idea for a, no, it's about four years back, me and my friends were discussing, and the original idea for this book was 
what if there was a vampire on Grinder? I'm you're familiar with the <laughs> yeah. sort of cocoa paps. Yeah. And he's just obsessed with finding people to suck. <laughs> and, and it was it was a joke idea at first, you know, he's like luring people out to suck their blood and whatever. Yeah. And the more I thought about it, I was like, no, hold on, because vampires already need to have a secret. And a young vampire, especially closeted, is trying to live as both a human and a gay man, but gay vampire. I, I thought that could be a really fun juxtaposition. Yeah. And I tried at first, I thought, oh, maybe this is a movie I'll write as a script. Uh, and then I thought, oh, no, visually it could work as a, as a comic book. But I'm terrible at drawing and artists are expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually I was like, well, I've been trying to write for a long time. Why don't I just sit down? finally get it done and you did and it's coming at about eighty-five thousand words so it's a good chunky book and uh like i say it's, it's really difficult to define sort of genre wise ya horror comedy lgbtq plus uh, yeah. coming of age coming out yeah. <laughs> vampire yeah I was, I was trying to think like would you class it as a ya um just because obviously there's some more adult themes in it there are exactly. some more some more violent adult scenes themes. that's why i didn't want to class it as a ya i think mm-hmm. A lot of people are talking about NA, new adult novels. Yeah, yeah. So I think that more accurately describe it, but... How do you define YA and, and, and NA? Well, YA, even though it's Asian adult, I think it is more that 14 to early 20 sort of gap where, like, there is some mature themes, but it's not too explicit, it's not too graphic, you know. It's it's a difficult tightrope to walk because it definitely isn't, like, a literary adult novel because no. there's a lot of that relatable younger themes. So I think new adult, which is sort of, I'd classify it as like maybe MAYA version, sort of. Yeah. Not that it necessarily has that explicit stuff, but it's more the next step up. Yeah, and and the main character Vlad, he is in his early twenties when we meet him. Um, so I think that kind of having your protagonist be the sort of at an age where he's he's come through the struggles of sort of those teen years, and he's he's sort of coming out. He's found a way out of the back of them, but is now coming to terms with it himself as his struggle as. Um, um, in, in inside of himself in his own mind about what he's going through I think that's sort of one of the the most relatable themes particularly to people who will be reading it sort of uh sort of around sort of their late teens early 20s really relatable character really really good fun so they're really like really well balanced well hashed out characters um they feel very personal so how much of like Vlad for example is um, an expression of yourself. Well, I think I used to always, I've always been good at creating characters, but my struggle was always with the protagonist. Now, anytime I do make a protagonist, I'm sure a lot of people fall into the trap of, oh, it's just an extension of yourself. But I find whenever I've done that, and this may be a comment on myself, may not be, but they end up being boring. (laughs) With Vlad, I wanted to make someone who was sort of quirky, had my sense of humor, but I definitely drew more from my experiences than my traits for putting it inside Vlad. Now I'd say for people who read the book, I'd say personally, I'm more closer to the Allison type. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're a, a lot more sassy. Uh, yes. <laughs> you uh, say perfect things at the entirely wrong time. <laughs> Special here, mine. <laughs> yeah. Allison was probably one of my favorite characters in the book. Um, and it kind of makes you think as well, like you just wish you had an Allison. Like, but, but... Every, everyone needs one. Everybody does need an Allison, but if you are the Allison, then you would need a Vlad. So, well, you have a friend who we just do sort of that friendship of Allison and Vlad mm-hmm. is very much similar, you know. But yeah. it's sort of it's more equal. It's not one super insecure, one super confident. It's yeah. more of a balance. You know, we keep each other up, we keep each yeah. other going. Because I even found when I was writing that the friendship between the two wasn't going to be one of the core aspects. And as it developed, I found it becoming. No, this is really 
their friendship is what drives this. Yeah. And and at later points in there, when sort of Alison's presence becomes more of um, a defining factor for the story and the way the story mm-hmm. progresses, having that build up in their friendship earlier in the book as well made it really, really much more impactful and powerful. My goal with that was to trick you into loving them by making them, by them making you laugh so much. Okay. So when that stuff does happen later on, you're like, oh crap, I actually care. Yeah. And and you do, uh, as you read through this book, you do find yourself caring about these characters. And I found it to be a really easy read as well. Like not that it was easy to read, but it, it was just, it didn't feel like a struggle to read it because your your narrative voice is very natural. It's very inviting. And um, I really like the way that you characterize this. And and Vlad's sort of inner monologue, even though it's written in third person, his, his sort of inner monologue is very ADHD. It's very erratic. He's thinking of all different angles of all different situations. And he's worrying constantly. And he's a very relatable character. So we talked a little bit about sort of the the genre of the book um, being sort of a, a horror comedy coming of age. Um, so what kind of inspirations do you draw from as a writer that um, that you've put into this work? Uh, as a horror writer, I think, as many will tell you, they're a card-carrying Stephen King fan. Uh-huh. You know, he's the GOAT. But in terms of my style of horror, a lot of mainly the horror comedy of it all, you don't see as much of it in novelization form. So it's made me movies, you know, like Shaun of the Dead, Beetlejuice, uh, Evil Dead 2. Yeah. But I think... One of the main recent horror writers, he doesn't strictly do horror comedy as I would define it. Uh, Grady Hendrix, uh, I don't know if you read some of his work, yeah, but yeah. that sort of quirky premise, like for example, Final Girl Support Group, you know. I love that book. I love it as well. It's such a outside, it's such a funny idea, but then you get in and you're like, oh no, this is serious. You know, they deal with the PTSD. Yeah. He has a way of tricking you in with a funny premise and then telling an emotional story. Yeah, I, re- I remember reading that book and thinking, this is kind of like those books I would read when I was a teenager, like point horror books, but it, it pushes it all the way and it makes it violent. And you see sort of, it's almost like the after effect, the aftershock, but told in graphic detail. And it's done so with such good, like sort of tongue in cheek humor as well. And I, I love that about it. Um, I kind of got some vibes as well of the TV version of what we do in the shadows. Kind of, there was a lot of a, a very Guillermo type feeling to it. Um, as well. Do you, do you watch the show? Do you do you like that? See, I was aware of the show and I've seen the first two seasons and I can definitely see the influence, but I personally stopped watching the show okay. because I was writing this because I was like, right. I don't want this to influence me whatsoever. Yeah. If like yeah, similar jokes, similar premises, mm-hmm. which looks because it's an amazing show. Yeah, it's got it's got vibe similarities, but the storyline is is nothing like it. I think, um, in terms of sort of uh, characters from from current media, there's is a lot more similarities with sort of something like Reginald the Vampire as well. So, I described it as um, what we do in the shadows meets Simon versus the Homo Sapien agenda. Okay, yeah, I think that's a good way of it is. Yeah, because it does have that sort of uh, that whole sort of coming out, coming to terms, yeah. finding yourself, but also finding your people around you. Sort of vibe to it is. It's, full apart and and yeah it does give you the warmer fuzzies um so this book is also self-published you have done all the work on this tell me a bit about your self-publishing journey why did you choose to go the self-publishing route and and have you found the experience well it wasn't all just me you know i worked with a lot of people on this uh i had my friend who we conversed a lot as i was writing in the progress i'll get to those but why i chose to go self-publishing see i felt Without sounding too corny, that was a very personal story to myself. And I think within the self-publishing world, you find an explosion of creativity in the indie scene in general. Yeah, You know, there's so much creativity. And I wanted that 
for me. I want it to be my vision 100%. I wanted to choose the people I work with, choose my cover artist, choose my editor, throw myself full in and see what I project myself. Yeah. And and it's it's come together really, really nicely. The cover art particularly is incredibly impressive. Who was your cover artist on this? All credit to Lassie Wernerstrad. He is, um, you know, we go back almost as long as me and you do. Uh, he helped out on the early days of Hook Cove, my old website. He constant, constant support. Uh, he did the cover art. He helped at the bed reading. Amazing, amazing artist. Uh, his website, drawmorepictures.com. You can read his uh, his own horror comedy webcomic. It's a fantastic piece. The main character is actually Irish like myself. <laughs> is he based on you as well? Unfortunately not. Thank well, he's a cursed con man, so I hope not. <laughs> and uh, who, who was the editor for this book? Uh, an old friend I went to school with. Uh, his name was Stephen Hendren. He sort of, we haven't spoken in a while. I knew he'd done some work with copy editing and he knows his way around a book. So I got in contact with him. Uh, we're both Irish though, and this book is geared towards Americans. Yeah. So we both had the trouble together changing all the uh, spellings because <laughs> you know we're right for an American audience we don't want the uh, color to have a UR in it or oh I feel the struggle I really really do <laughs> I, I like the fact as well that um, you do I think you did what what I prefer to do as well because I'm you know we're not American but we're writing for American audiences mm-hmm. it's better to invent a place in America to have as your home base for this so point pleasant for, for you well, is, is that a real place it is. It is a real place. Now, there's a Point Pleasant in West Virginia, which is way more famous, apparently. Okay. But there is a Point Pleasant in New Jersey. It's a coastal township. Okay. Uh, but there's not too much known about it. So where I could feel like that's the perfect spot where I can set it, play around, have fun, make what yeah. I want. And and obviously some of the, the settings in the book as well. You've got the tangerine bar. Is that based on somewhere that you, you've been before? Is there a real tangerine bar? Um, there's a popular place out in Dublin uh, called the George. I'm sure many, many people around here, my area are familiar with it. Uh, it has that sort of same accepting vibe as the Tangerine. Yeah. And I, I loved reading it as well because it did give you that sort of like vibe as well of just walking into a gay bar for maybe the first time and yeah. being a little bit overwhelmed. There's lots of people around. You've got your friend with you and she's getting massively drunk. Like it is really overload. <laughs> absolutely. It's really relatable. And I, I love that about it. There's also a lot of um, sort of different types of characters in in your book as well so you've got not just the lovely heartwarming coming of age kind of thing you've got the difficult situation between vlad and his father um as as quite a a major story point for this um what was it that made you sort of take that sort of uh look at how the coming out experience and 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 how your your dad would look at it how how's that sort of been shaped by, by what you've been through yourself well, I think everyone's biggest fear when coming out themselves is that parental relationship, you know, it's the not knowing of how they're going to take it or accept it. Yeah. Now, anyone can read this book and take a look and think, oh, this guy has daddy issues. And they're not wrong. <laughs> but they're oh. sort of falling out on issues, weren't related specifically to sexuality and stuff like that. There were sort of other things, but it was the yeah. same sort of conflict. Yeah. And, and I think it's, a really what's the word like layered and and complex relationship that you write Vlad and his father and Vlad and his mother as well um, as sort of a, a bystander of some of the abuse that he he experiences from his father emotional abuse or psychological yeah. abuse yeah absolutely and I think 
the way that you sort of done that whole like uh, found family is the new family kind of thing as well is a really sort of heartwarming and, uh, and uplifting aside to it as well so just big props on that because I really did feel like even though it wasn't all at once and even though it was gradually built over the space of a few a few days to a few weeks um, that you did sort of give this character a lot of love and a lot of support in some of the strangest places like even Mr. Mai was uh, just he's such a fun character um, so yeah, just really, really great characterization. And the open ending that you wrote, it's uh it's clearly geared for more stories. Will we see more of these of these characters? Very soon, I'm hoping within the next year on thirty thousand words into the sequel. Uh, nice. I, I have a title, but I have bottoms and bloodsuckers. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's gonna go more into that how your life develops once you're out and the new people you meet. Uh, sort of idea of uh, gay friendships how sort of artificial things can be but then there's also the without giving away spoilers the consequences of the reveal at the end yeah and a part of that also is going to be going back to Vlad and Allison's friendship and sort of stretching that to their limits in new ways okay that sounds sort of- really interesting it's it feels a bit like sort of that that the kind of books where it could be a long series and it you grow up with the characters I have an idea for three now. I'm, I'm saying three, but when I first started out, I had the idea for the one and I got to the end and I was like, no, there, there's more here to be explored. It's difficult to let characters go when you love writing them, isn't it? <laughs> I love, yeah, I just, I've done the same thing with mine. I actually found it difficult then when I started writing the sequel, I found one of the hardest things is you have to find a weird balance because you want your characters to feel the same, mm. but you also want to show the growth they've had because so, yeah. you don't want to be a carbon copy of what they were in the first one because they've had that progression. Yeah. And then you don't want to go too different because you still want them to be the familiar characters that people love in the first place. That's yeah. been one of my challenges. And it's sort of, it depends as well on the time frame between where the first book ends and the second book yeah. picks up, how much time has passed. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm really excited to read a sequel. So we'll, we'll look out for that in the coming year. I will hold you to that, Bombs and Bloodsuckers. I can't <laughs> wait for it to arrive on my Kindle. Um and is that that's your next project? Are you focusing on any other projects on the side? Um, I was doing a sort of, I had this fun idea for a slasher. It was called Stab Me. Uh, I got 80,000 words into it. It was a very, very sort of meta slasher without giving too much away. It's basically about the creativity and how your search for success and your art can sort of take things down a dark path. But while also still being very funny. You do love the horror comedy. That is very much oh, your brand. I, well, you know, they say it's the hardest things to write are horror because it's hard to make people feel fair mm-hmm. and comedy because it's hard to make people laugh. So I was like, okay, so I'll be totally accepted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I my first experience of your writing was reading from your website, Hook Cove, um, and I remember reading it hilarious and incredibly uh, off-the-cuff piece about a child serial killer who was furious that people thought he was a paedophile. <laughs> and just to give people sort of an idea of some of your uh, your more comedic elements, yes. it was, he was absolutely incensed. I'm not a paedophile. I just kill them. I don't touch them, <laughs> which was such a brilliant concept. Um, it just, yeah, made me fall in love with the, that website just from the start. Hukov, which is temporarily on pause, the whole idea behind that was the fictional town in America where all horror tropes and everything that can go wrong will go wrong it's being reported in this newspaper it's uh it's definitely worth a watch it's got some some back backstories on there hasn't it there's, there's quite a lot of uh, content on there at the moment people can catch up and then do you think you'll ever get back to it 
Um, well, I've put all them like on suspend right now. I do want to because I had a lot, a lot of fun writing them. Uh, but between working full time and novels, it's sort mm. of it's difficult to yeah. have that time to sit down and do them. Yeah, novels are incredibly time consuming, and the thing that I found writing sort of longer work as well as if you if you don't write consistently, um, you tend to lose plot threads halfway through, and then fixing them is harder than and just doing the writing in the first place. Um, so as a, a writer, you consume quite a lot of uh, horror content. Um, what are you reading right now? What, what's uh, what's on your to-read list? And uh, do you have any recommendations for our, our listeners? As for what I'm reading now, uh, I'm rereading a few chapters of it just because it's the summer season. Mm-hmm. But my main read right now is the How to Be Dead series by Dave Turner. They came out a few years ago. They're a series of novellas, horror comedy about a average English bloke who ends up working for the Grim Reaper. Oh, nice. Okay. As for recommendations, I think if you want horror comedies in the vein of coming out of the coffin, mm-hmm. uh, the two I would suggest are as the 24-7 Demon Mart series by DM Gay. Uh, she does a wonderful job balancing the horror and comedy. It's about uh, this total loser, his cockroach manager, and the hot girl they work with in a convenience store that is also a gate to hell that they have to protect from demons. <laughs> I love and, the sound of that. Um, the Dead Jack series by James Alquin. It is a sort of an undead zombie detective in a world called Pandemonia, which is sort of a hellish landscape. And they're like sort of a play on the 1950s detective stories. It's a bit, a bit sort of noir, but sort of comedic. Exactly. Excellent. We will um, we will link those in the series notes. Uh, so people can find those books as well. And thank you for recommending those. What about your online presence? Where can we find you? Where can we find more about you? Do you have a website? Twitter on uh, Hook Cove, um, H-O-O-K-C-O-V-E, Instagram, Hook Cove, uh, hookcove.com. <laughs> I've gone all in on the brand and uh, any sort of late night bus trips you can probably find me on. Okay. I'll be there. Just coming home from work at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> tired and looking for blood thank you it's been really it's been absolutely yeah, delightful talking to you today um, and we are going to finish with uh, a short reading from coming out of the coffin is everything alright dear you've hardly touched your banker Maria Radu said from the far end of the table Vlad looked at the man laid out before him wearing a cheap brown suit with mustard stains on his white shirt hogtied and gagged his eyes met Vlad dark blue and well in the foot tears. He shook his head now at the boy, pleading for his life. The lad stared back, hiding the empathy from his face. Vampires considered bankers an exquisite delicacy, something about them being the most significant living evil on earth. It made their blood more savoury, filled with greed and corruption. The Redoux family sat in the dining room up there, luxurious Georgian era manner. The room was too small a word for a flat tot. It was more like a banquet hall. Glass chandeliers hung above them. It was the same length as the corridor back in his apartment complex. The table itself was as long as his actual apartment. Vlad sat at its south end, his stomach growled at him from under his shirt. It had been almost a week since the last time he fed. The dryness in his mouth was a constant distraction. He should have known the real first challenge of this new lifestyle would be dinner with his parents. His mother was a few chairs up. Maria had already slit the throat of her meal. She pulled her head away from the man's open wounds to speak, dressed head to toe in black. Blood was dripping from her crimson lips and onto her silk dress. Besides the blood paint in her face, she looked like she had been drinking from the feminine butte, a narrow jawline and high cheekbones. Female vampires always seemed to age lower than males. They were also mossy eaters. 
His father, Victor, hadn't touched his food yet. When it came to dinner, he was more meticulous, like a skilled surgeon. After running a wrinkled hand through his sliced, slicked-back hair, he pursed his lips, eyes focused, hands clasped. He leered at his son, transfixed by his every move. Vlad hated when his dad was like this. Watching him with hypnotizing eyes, there was always some mental game being played. Things were never simple with Victor Adu, never acting without motive or malice. It was a waiting game to see which one he was in store for. Is he too old for you, my son? Victor said. Regrettably, they all tend to come in middle age these days. All the young men are far too into these drugs. The last thing you want is to get addicted to heroin because you bit into some low life with a bad habit. Terrible stuff. Truly terrible, Murray added. There was nothing else on the table, only the tied up bankers. Usually it would be draped in a black tablecloth, but bloodstains were harder to remove than wine. Only three lumpy bodies, bodies on the wooden surface. Two of the soon-to-be meals were still alive and squirming. The ones who still lived wriggled up and down but couldn't move. They did not know yet that their struggles were futile. If Vlad confessed that he wasn't hungry and no longer wanted to kill, they'd pin him down and force a neck into Vlad's sharp teeth. Even a protest from him would not save the balding man. There were so many things this man would never do. His tips would never be paid off, and his family would never see him again. He had entered the Reduce house. A death sentence. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. That was a reading from Coming Out of the Coffin by D.A. Holmes, which you can get uh, at the pre-order link that we will attach to this episode. Dee, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Amazing. I've had a great time doing this first interview. And after this, most definitely the last. No, you will you will go on to do a thousand more of these, especially when this blows up into a cultural hit. I'm predicting TikTok virality. So we are gonna we're gonna try and make that happen because this book needs to be read by everyone who ever was a child or ever grew up as a human or a vampire. It needs to be read by everyone. As long as I don't have to do a dance. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much for being here. This has been thank the Cutthroat Queens. We have had Kelsey Yu, we have had Emma Murray, and we have had DA Holmes with us today with the Cutthroat Queens. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>